New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Never have we needed collaboration more than at this time in our cultural evolution. Research has shown that collaboration increases our intelligence. And in these threshold times, we need to be functioning on the highest creative level we can possibly reach. Our guests today have said, the future may depend less on your expertise than on your capacity to connect with others who think differently. It may require the wonder of your imagination to bridge those differences and realize those possibilities. And today we'll be exploring how to better collaborate with others for a better future for all with our guests, Dr. Donna Markova and Angie MacArthur. Donna Markova is a CEO Emeritus of Professional Thinking Partners. She's known internationally for her research in the fields of learning and perception. She's the former senior affiliate of the Society for Organizational Learning, originated at MIT Sloan School of Management. She's a co-author of Random Acts of Kindness and author of I Will Not Die and Unlive Life, Spot of Grace, Remarkable Stories, How You Do Make a Difference, and other books as well. Angie MacArthur is CEO of Professional Thinking Partners and co-founder of Smart Wired and the Smart Parenting Revolution. As an expert in communication and learning styles, she has developed strategies for authors, corporations, CEOs, and the ongoing Executive Champions Workshop She's the author of I Am Smart. This is a book for parenting. Together, Donna Markova and Angie MacArthur are the co-authors of Collaborative Intelligence, Thinking with People Who Think Differently. Join us for the next hour as we explore how we may better think and collaborate with others with our guests, Dr. Donna Markova and Angie MacArthur. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Donna, Angie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's begin. Okay, we're at this time. You're talking about cooperation and collaboration, and and we're really in this, still kind of in this cultural milieu of competition. So mm-hmm. tell us, why do we need collaboration versus uh, the way we've been doing in competing? 
Well, Justine, I... This is Donna. Thank you, Donna. Yes. One of the things that is curious to me is that we know that you can uh, cooperate without collaborating. Um, However, you cannot collaborate without cooperating. And more and more as we shift from what we commonly call the market share economy to what Joran Karstedt, who was the CEO of IKEA, calls the mindshare economy. Um, our currency is in how well we can think together. And in the book, we give a chart. Maybe Angie can go through some of the details of the difference between a mindset that's a market share mindset and a mind share mindset. It's a very different way of leading. It's a very different way of thinking together. Uber is a really good example, Airbnb. So that people, the the currency is the more ideas you generate and the more ideas you share with each other, the richer all of you are rather than things. So in a market share, I have two things, you have zero, nah, nah, you know, that's <laughs> competition. Yeah. But in mind share, if I share my two ideas with you and you share your two ideas with me, we each walk away with four ideas. And also in a market share, it's like um, you're not sharing resources. So let's say, for example, a pharmaceutical company, they're competing for research grants, right. let's say. So they hold everything closely. They don't share what they know, and then somebody else has to redo all of that information. Can you say something about that? Yeah. Angie? Well, that's exactly what happens is in a mind share economy, there's not the logic that we expect from a market share economy. It also takes a new type of thinking because in a market share economy, the leader acts as a... um, you know, a CEO, the smartest guy in the room. In a mindshare economy, the leader is a host. And what we're doing is encouraging leaders of this age to start hosting. So diversity of all types can enter into that type of economy and contribute their ideas and their value. You know, as I went through the book and and you, you give all these examples, I can think and Donna, I've known you for years. In mm-hmm. fact, you were on our board of directors, yes. so you you really know New Dimensions. And I can think of those early years when we conducted meetings with staff where there was someone, but uh, host, not hosting. What, what hosting. Did you say? Hosting. Oh, hosting. But that's not what we leader were doing. Leader as hero is a market share. All right. So we were doing leader as hero, and everybody was reporting on their yes. things. And people were... they going to sleep you know I mean it it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't doing what you say is just more creative and more imaginative so what were we doing there that that demonstrated how it's not as effective well uh, let me let me go lateral with this because it's very interesting Um, we still are not out of the market share economy obviously however what a market share economy does is it takes you into fight, flight, or freeze. Um, it's amygdala-driven in terms of the brain. You know me and brain. I'm I'm a brain junkie. Um, a mind share economy requires a different kind of thinking. It requires that I take my strengths and I find you who happen to have strengths where I have weaknesses or limitations, and we come together, and together one plus one equals three. The interesting thing is that 
the research in the last 10 years, um, when I went to graduate school, the assumption was that women's brains and men's brains were the same. And so all research was done on men's brains because women have those nasty hormone things that get in the way. (laughs) And so the assumption was that a woman's brain was just like a man's brain, only a little bit smaller. Well, what has been found um, that was instigated actually by two women is that as they began to explore in the last 15 years, they've discovered that women's brains are very different because women's brains have a smaller amygdala. So they don't go into fight or flight as easily. Their first option is they go into affiliate. They have a larger corpus callosum. That's the middle part of the brain. So that when women think um, before they fight, flight, or freeze, their tendency is to think we. How can I support you? How can you support me? And the corpus callosum, that middle part that used to be considered, oh, that's just connective tissue. Well, the corpus callosum helps that kind of thinking go back and forth from rational to relational, from rational to relational to rational. Yeah. And what's interesting most about that is up to 85% of our brains are dedicated to connection. But since only 14% of the the leadership teams have women in them to begin with <laughs> in leadership positions. That is because when I used to sit on boards and uh, senior leadership teams, um, when a woman would make a, an affiliative comment like, well, let's all stop for a minute. And does anybody have a question to ask about this? That was considered weak, an indication of weakness. Yeah. Don't talk in metaphors. Why are you asking all these questions? So we are literally talking about an evolution, not a revolution, but an evolution in the ways we need to learn to think. Yes, yes. I want to ask a practical question that might be an example for you to kind of key off of. If we're meeting a person for the first time, what is it that you would suggest that we should notice about that person? Angie? Well, on several fronts. I think it depends on the context of the meeting. So why are you meeting with them? Are you meeting with them to get to know them or because you're trying to interact around business? I mean, ideally, if you're meeting with them because you really want to make a connection, I would first notice their body language and whether they're keeping direct eye contact or looking away how many visuals they have with you. Notice their natural way in which they're expressing things to you. Are they using a lot of adjectives that are action words? Are they using a lot of adjectives that are visual words? Are they using a lot of action or uh, adjectives that are auditory words? Are they? Do they have a lot of energy behind their voice? So you start to notice these things and, and, and instead of making up stories in our head, because this is the natural thing that we do, for example, if someone comes at me very aggressively with a voice and they're really excited, I I may think that they uh, don't have the capacity to listen or something or that they're just um, way too talkative. But instead of making up that story in my head, I go, oh, they are very verbally 
uh, present. Words and the words that they choose are going to be very important to them. So I start to notice those things. The same in the visual context. So if they present me with an Excel spreadsheet that's highly detailed, I immediately cue in that visual detailed information helps them remain present and alive. So in other words, you're not going into judgment no. about how they're doing. And we mostly do that. We mm-hmm. go, if they're they're different from we are, let's say if they come on really with big energy and we're more more uh, small, I don't know what to say, small in our energy or mm-hmm. more contained with our energy, then that might be scary to us and we might think of it as aggression. But you're saying, no, kind of be more curious and right. stay Stay right. more open right. to to mm-hmm. how their their different way of being is different. There, exactly. there, there it is. Different. What one of the things you said that's so interesting is that what we have been trained to do for a market share economy is to avoid the state of confusion. Confusion is considered a disease. So if you ever want attention, just stand in a street corner and say, I'm confused, and everybody that walks past you will come to try and help you fix your confusion. In fact, it's the brain's way of opening. So when you move beyond what you think you know, the first stage you go through like a metabolism is confusion. If you allow yourself to expand your confusion, it becomes the word you use. It becomes curious. If you allow your curiosity to expand, it becomes wonder. If you allow wonder to expand, it becomes discovery. Ah, I want to remind our listeners, thank you so much for that, Donna. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Dr. Donna Markova and also with Angie MacArthur, and they are the co-authors of Collaborative Intelligence, Thinking with People Who Think Differently. And if you want to know more about their work, you can go to the website cqthebook.com. CQ meaning collaborative quotient, I think. Yes. Uh, cqthebook.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. here with Dr. Donna Markova and Angie MacArthur, and we're talking about the benefits of collaboration and how we can do it more effectively. And I want to go back to the question, I think, Angie, you might have more to say about when we are first meeting someone, what is 
best for us to notice about that about them that will make that relationship more effective right so we just talked about what we what to notice how they're communicating which is you know kinesthetic auditory or visual now we're going to talk about what they're communicating. And in the book, we, we describe what we call the inquiry compass, which are the four different ways in which people face and address challenges. And you, again, start to notice this in people's language pretty quickly. Where is their perspective coming from? Are they asking a lot of questions about why? Do they want to know the data? Do they want to know the reason behind something? That would be someone who's strongly analytic. And therefore, I would want to make sure that I address those analytic questions right away. On, on Another way would be if they're asking a lot of procedural questions. How is this going to go down? What is the timeline behind this? What is the step by step process, you start to clue into those type of language uh, orientations and you realize where their mind is going is into a very procedural mindset. The other is innovative. This is Donna. She'll always go to the what if questions or with every comment is a new idea or perhaps she's inspired to uh, relate some vision or some big idea that she has. So again, that's where I would want to meet her. I would want to ask her more questions about what is your vision behind this. The fourth is the relational. So someone who's, how are you feeling today? What's going on? How are your kids? You you realize that without meeting someone someone in that relational quadrant first, that they're going to think maybe you're cold. (laughs) And so, again, we are constantly going through all of these different quadrants of the inquiry compass. We're just not trained to tune in to where someone else is coming from and listen for that type of content. In the book, we call having a pivotal mindset. So when you said, can we step back and just instead of getting our own stories in our mind, take a breath... To me, that's the art form of achieving connection, is when you have a pivotal mindset, that's what you're doing. You can move into any four of these quadrants because ideally you're trying to achieve that connection with that person. You know, uh, these quadrants were very helpful for me in working with my team. Like, uh, for example, there's someone on my team who's extremely analytical. Mm -hmm. And, And years ago, when I worked with him, uh, uh, I would get kind of upset about, <laughs> he would ask these questions about, um, you know, uh, why do you need to know this? And, and and he would just get very, very detailed. And it would just, I would get more and more uncomfortable because I think that I work on the relational mm-hmm. quadrant more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, uh, I now... I so appreciate him. He brings such a strength mm-hmm. to the team mm-hmm. because he works in this quadrant primarily. Yes, yes. And he brings the kinds of details we need for certain aspects of our work. Exactly. Uh, but it took me a while yeah. to to get comfortable with it. What I love about what you just said is you made a shift without realizing it from the kind of person he was to how he works or how he thinks. And what, that is the shift from how we have been trained in a market share way of thinking to a mind share way of thinking. Because a person knows that their personhood, they do not want to have changed. This has nothing to do with your personhood or your personality. It has to do merely with 
the way that you process information and the way you think and therefore your preferences. These particular four, although not in the inquiry form, were developed by a man named Ned Herman, who was the head of training for GE for years and years and years and called me up one time and said, um, I just read your book and I'd like to talk to you about your ideas. And at the time he was just had this huge learning center and I had no idea who it was and he was in his 80s and imagine being in your 80s and calling up some little woman in Vermont and saying I read your book and it changed the way I think about thinking um he was a lovely lovely man so he was the one that helped me understand that these are like software programs and that we are born with the ability to face our challenges in four different ways like four different software programs however they get uh, acculturated out of us or in our families. So in my family, analytic thinking was considered only men could do that. Mm-hmm. So whenever I would think analytically, my father would say, oh, it's a shame. You'd make such a great leader. Shame you're a girl. Ugh. So I learned, okay, I'm not going to use those software programs. Yeah. Um, but what you did so elegantly is we still have the tendency, there's 120 eight books right now on Amazon called How to Deal with Difficult People. Mm -hmm. We attribute difficulties in thinking together to personhood. Oh. So I am making you a difficult person because you think differently. Yes. And what we need to learn to do and where my passion came to do this book and to do it with Angie was that that shift to be able to dignify our differences in thinking is essential. We are homo sapiens sapiens. And if we don't learn to think with people that think differently, it's dangerous to the entire world. It's also important for us to know our thinking talents. Yes. And and I know that you have a whole list of talents and, and you have a whole way of, of finding out what are our primary talents. And would you say this is kind of the software we come loaded with in, in birth, like this talent that's innate well, in us? Well, let me describe it from a, a neuroscience perspective and Angie will describe it from a practical because um, <laughs> that's the way <laughs> we worked very differently. So... From a neuroscience perspective, the brain uses, it's an energy junkie. It uses more energy than any organ in the body. Um, You do your emails and your brain depletes of energy. And then you want to go get something to eat. You don't know why or associate it. Uh, But because the brain is using a huge amount of energy. So many of the ways that we think deplete the brain. What we began to discover is there are ways that actually energize the brain. They give energy the brain energy to think in that way. So for me, one of my, and we call them thinking talents, um, one of my thinking talents is telling stories. So I could start now and start a story and link one story to the other naturally. They just come until they close the top of the coffin and I'll go, wait a minute, I have one more story. (laughs) That's what's natural for my brain to do. Um, And in order to make myself to get through graduate school, et cetera, I had to kind of, Um, put myself in this little linear box that was not natural to me. It depleted me rather than what I eventually did, which is I hired people that love to think analytically and they helped me do my research. And then I went out and told my stories to explain the research that they did. But the assumption in in all of our lives because of how we're trained and how we are training is you train to fix the deficit. We don't notice the asset. And so people are trained, well, 
Donna, you're not good in analytics, so take more courses in statistics. I could take courses, and I did, in statistics from now until forever, and I would be mediocre. However, if I'm sitting with Angie, who's highly analytic, she lights up when she thinks Mm-hmm. and does statistics. So she's inter- energized. You're energized, exactly. Angie, by that. What yes. depletes me energizes her. Yeah. So if we want to really achieve excellence, we don't need to take people and keep trying to strengthen their weaknesses. We need to collaborate with someone else who thinks differently. Oh, I just get such a feeling of relief yes. in thinking about that. I, I want to go through, I, I went through the thinking talents and you have a kind of whole exercise mm-hmm. that, that I took. And, and one thing that... Um, I came up with five of my talents, and it was just amazing to find out how true they were for me. Yes. And I just want to mention one, because when you talk about the talents, you also talk about the shadow side of those talents. Mm-hmm. And one that came up for me, as I mentioned earlier, I'm relational. Mm-hmm. So feeling for others is one of the talents mm-hmm. I have. Mm-hmm. And I felt really good about that, like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's that's who I am. And then I looked at the shadow, and the shadow of that is codependence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy, did that nail me to the ground. <laughs> I mean, it flattened me out. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely spot on that that's what I have to watch with mm-hmm. that talent. So say something about our thinking talents and those shadows that they also exist. Yeah, so identifying your thinking talents, as Donna pointed out, it it's really gives you your innate energy, how you want to show up. And I've been working a lot with millennials through the Levo League, which is a LinkedIn for millennial women. And the number one question that I get with these young 20-year-olds is, I just want to feel more alive at work. I don't want to burn out. Because they see as you get older and go further up in your career, the more burned out you get. And our belief is that because we don't get a chance to use as much of our talents as that we're really born to use. And these young girls, they are striving to do that in the workforce. Understanding the shadow side of that talent is self-awareness. And it's the ability to be able to, like you use the example, feeling for others or being codependent because any talent has that side to it that we consider sort of undeveloped or it's sort of a regulator. Like if you imagine a hose and a huge amount of water come out, it can really throw you off. So with Donna's storytelling, if she just perpetually tells stories, but maybe I'm not there with her yet, that can come across as too much. Or another one is self-confidence is an actual thinking talent. I just had a young girl Tuesday night in Los Angeles, who she, this was her talent, and she was shy to claim it mm-hmm. because she had actually been shamed for having self-assurance as being aggressive. And But now, she, in realizing that, she now can learn how to work with that as a talent instead of being teased or shamed because of the shadow side so of it. So if in, in self-confidence, um, what's the shadow side that might be present in that? In which one? Self-confidence. Arrogance. 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 Right. And she was told literally by her bosses at work that she came on too strong. So you have to really understand that others might perceive you, perceive it as a shadow. Exactly. And be very careful not to, to think that is the truth. about what you are expressing. Exactly. There's two sides to it. One side is that people say, well, I really don't have any thinking talents. Now, we only tend to attribute talents to music and sports and performing Mm -hmm. arts. We Yet we're 
homo sapiens sapiens. I mean, our, our ultimate talent is thinking. So we don't tend to um, understand that storytelling or um, self-assurance or analysis is in fact a talent in thinking. And so sometimes we'll meet somebody who said, well, I don't know what you're talking about, thinking talent. So what's that? I don't have any thinking talent. And then we go, well, you know, what I'm aware of is you just organized everything on your desk in front of you in neat piles. And so what is that? Oh, that's just, I love details. You know, that's all. I just love it. So we, we ourselves sometimes can't find our talents because they're hidden in shadows. Or somebody may have a talent that reminds you of someone you knew when you were little who was cruel to you or who... Um, wanted to want to up you. And so they gave a negative attribution to that. Um, to my son, David, who's Angie's husband, he has one of his thinking talents is humor. And he brings so much joy to situations. He got in so much trouble at school for making jokes all the time when it was, things were getting boring. So he would start to bring his thinking talent and then end up in the principal's office. (laughs) I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Angie MacArthur and Dr. Donna Markova, co-authors of Collaborative Intelligence, Thinking with People Who Think Differently. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Angie MacArthur and Dr. Donna Markova, and they are the co-authors of Collaborative Intelligence, Thinking with People Who Think Differently. And I, I know from, from going through the book, what I really grasped was it's not only working with others. There's also, you use the phrase, your, your own inner board of directors. <laughs> I, I love that. And, and really getting the right information from our own very versatile board of directors. And so can you, can you talk about how we may better, better do that, access our own inner talents? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to, as I do that, I want to bow an acknowledgement to the sources of some. We include four different strategies and the sources of some of the research. So the... Um, sources of thinking talent um, was Marcus Buckingham. Most people know a book called Now Build Your Strengths um, and uh, the Gallup organization. What we did is based on our experience because we were in the field working with senior leadership teams. Um, And as I said, Ned Herman was the source of um, the quadrants, the four quadrants that divided the software, what we call the software of thinking. So... um, now tell me your question again because I got carried away with Ned oh, and right, I- <laughs> right, right. Um, it's about our our inner um, yes. directors, but it, it, it's like you give a story. Yes. One of the stories that just kind of popped for me was a story of uh, Zubin Mehta, uh, who's a conductor, and he was the one who brought together the three tenors. Yes, uh, Pavarotti. The who were the other? Uh, 
I can't remember all of their names, but there was just a mind-blowing, I mean, everybody saw this uh, event that took place when these three tenors, very right. famous opera singers, got together and performed together. And he did a very di- interesting thing, and you can tell us, Donna, about what he did to bring them together. Well, they were not only famous, and they were not only brilliant opera singers, but they also had immense egos. And so what he did was change the context in which they were thinking. And he, instead of having them sing together, he found out and knew that they all loved food. So he had them create the night before the concert, create an immense dinner. And they cooked together and they shopped together and they pre- presented it together. And in doing that way, there was no ego involvement. They learned to collaborate. They became um, what you would call a council, and they actually pulled each other forward. The question you asked about council, though, which I now, you reminded me, because I thought of Zubin Mehta as you said that, was that once you begin to identify what these specific talents are that really energize you, you can, in a very simple way, say, okay, well, here's my talent for storytelling, and here's my talent for empathy, and here's my talent for new ideas, and here's my talent for collection. And so I have this problem that I'm dealing with or struggling with. Let me ask each one of those talents, specifically as if they were separate members of a board of advisors, what their perspective would be on this particular challenge. And so oftentimes some of those, you know, I was demeaned for my talent of storytelling. I was told that I was exaggerating. So I didn't think that storytelling was a thinking talent or that it was useful for anything. Um, So... When I'm going to make a major decision, I sit down and I literally write or I put objects out that represent each of my thinking talents. And I let the storyteller, just the storyteller, finally have a chance to speak without other voices in my mind going, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Mm -hmm. So I do have a built-in environment, if you will, that energizes my thinking about anything. And so does everybody else. And, you know, in that, to, to go back into the story of this conductor who brought, brought the tenors together mm-hmm. it's it's like you you have this cacophony of talents kind of vying for and it's like that you you talk about this the orchestra sort of tuning up yes and it's just, it's just this cacophony of sound yes. and what you do then that you demonstrated just now donna is to to bring it into then a symphony together and it then it's and everything starts to blend yes yes so you get you get a harmony and what's interesting is that true collaborative leaders that are brilliant at doing it are the same as the leader as Zubin Mehta they're silent it's the members of the orchestra whose voices and collective and collaborative voices are heard Mm. yeah I was just going to echo what Donna was saying that what Zubin Mehta did is he was what we call the leader as the host is he hosted Mm -hmm. an environment which allowed collaboration to take place and I think in this time that we're living in and especially with the resources that we have at hand with the millennials coming into leadership roles is this craving that I'm seeing everywhere for more self-awareness, more self-understanding. And often, especially in the age of Facebook and all these ways we have of perceiving the world from the outside in. Am I doing a good job? Am I on track? Am I successful? And what that creates is a little inner turmoil and inner self-confidence crisis. In fact, I talked to one CEO, Carolyn Ghosn, 
27 years old, brilliant woman, and she said, we are in an age with young people who have a self-confidence crisis. And my heart just opened up because so much of the work of thinking talents and really consulting yourself you have to, in order to be a good collaborator, you first have to really learn how to collaborate with yourself. And so the inner counsel of using your thinking talents is first referencing using your own self as your North Star to begin with. And that'll enable you to then collaborate not only more with others, but also know where you are coming from. And that's that self-awareness piece that is so critical right now. So I, I went through that that little exercise you have for Mm -hmm. uh, thinking talents and I came up with okay my thinking talents collecting connection equalizing feeling for others loving ideas and optimism those were like my strengths so and and then of course there's a shadow of each one Mm -hmm. of those that I I also can claim Mm -hmm. that I've I've acted on but but you're saying in going back to your both of your examples is that when I need to make a decision just within myself, let's say I'm collaborating within myself, mm-hmm. I can set those different talents in front of me and I can inquire from each of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, in this problem, um, my collection self, what do you have to say about it? Mm-hmm. And then go to the next one and the next mm-hmm. one. And that's going to give me what? That's going to say... say. Well, it gives you a sense of harmony. And you no longer become yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but. So the sense, the the aspect of you that loves to collect and lights you up and gets energized from doing that has certain needs that have to be filled. Perhaps there's an aspect I can't remember all four that you just named. Let's say there's an empathy. As I, I of course, mm-hmm. it's Justine. Sure. So um, the empathy voice, if it was doing yeah, but yeah, but if it was competing, could say, but what about all the people that have nothing, Justine? Look at all this stuff you have. You should give it all away. And those two aspects can fight with each other. Um, However, if you learn to, what is the empathy aspect of you need? What need is it, she, he trying to fill? Mm -hmm. As well as the collection, what need is he, she, it trying to fill? And if they could support each other, you've created an inner collaboration. Right. Not only that, but when you meet somebody on the outside, let's say, who's highly empathetic, if you've um, discarded uh, the the empathetic part of you, you will discard the empathetic part of him, that uh-huh. person on the outside. Right. Because right. it'll just remind you of, there you go, feeling for everybody else. What about me? So what about collaboration? Um, if we're going to do it, is it going to take, and this is a real key issue in these times, more time? Mm-hmm. It's expedient to just kind of go through and do it as, a, as a, a hero, so to speak, and just get those reports from everyone or do, do it that way. Because the other one, won't it take a lot more time? Well, in fact, the point you bring up is really critical, and, and that's what this young CEO who's invested and actually created a whole app around this work is she said it gives her a snapshot of people's thinking talents and also the other strategy we talk about in the book, mind patterns. And once you have a snapshot of someone, you're already eons ahead of where you were. And so collaboration, yes, it it may initially take a little longer, but the result is so much richer. And look at where we are today. Can we afford not to? I mean, we are not getting the results that we want in you know 
politically. We're not getting the results we want environmentally. We're not getting the results we want socially. And so we have to all learn how to do things differently. And collaboration, what Donna and I talk about a lot in the book is that it's a verb. It's not a noun. And so we, it's like love. You know, are you in love or are you out of love? Well, anyone who's in a long-term relationship knows that you kind of weave in and out and you're kind of on track and you're off track. What we fail to do is to recognize when you are collaborating really well with one person or with a team, what are the conditions that are allowing that to happen and stopping, pausing and noticing. And in that way, you are becoming more and more efficient in order to achieve collaboration. What we fail to do is stop and notice those conditions. We just think it's chemistry or we just think it's a good topic that we're on or a good business plan. When in fact, it's really the conditions of thinking that are enabling this collaboration to happen. And the more that we study that and we study what is working with with individuals and with teams, the more efficient we're going to be. The other point is that I really believe that collaboration and being collaborative intelligence is a new currency. Because right now, the average person is changing jobs every three years. And so if you can really only think with one kind of person, whether that's race, sex, type of thinking, certain personality types or whatever, you are really limited. And so to me, all of this work is you're increasing your collaborative currency. You have a huge bandwidth. I was just thinking of the word bandwidth. Yes, right, you're increasing right. your bandwidth. So so that's really important. You said, Angie, uh, the condition of thinking the conditions of thinking, and that kind of popped for me. Wait, conditions of thinking. What do you What do you mean by that? Well, for example, um, Justine, if 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 I was thinking with you, and all of a sudden we let's say we were walking, and all of a sudden I saw you come up with a great idea, and then we both got excited about that idea and started to enact and plan on that. I'd next time I was meeting with you, I would think, oh. We had a really productive discussion when we were walking together. Maybe walking with Justine is better than sitting side by side in a boardroom. So we don't notice these conditions. Uh, we don't notice. Instead, we pay attention to the content of a meeting. We don't pay attention to how. We put ourselves around these round boardroom tables and expect our brains to be li- alive and fired up. And they're just not. We're using less and less of our capacity to think. So it's noticing Though, you know, anything that's supporting the conditions of you bringing your talents and your thinking capabilities to the table and then me noticing what's lighting me up, what's bringing my conditions of... Oh, very nice, very nice. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Angie MacArthur and Dr. Donna Markova, and they are the co-authors of Collaborative Intelligence, Thinking with People Who Think Differently. And if you want to know more about their work, you can go to their website, cqthebook.com. And CQ stands for um, Collaborative Quotient, cqthebook.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Angie MacArthur and Dr. Donna Markova. They are the co-authors of Collaborative Intelligence, Thinking with People Who Think Differently. I want to ask you about some story that you related, uh, an experience of being consulting with someone, a Mm -hmm. CEO, who was pretty close-minded when you first walked in. And Donna, you you did something very interesting. You not only walked in, but you also walked out. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a great lead in. (laughs) So tell us about what happened there. I was hired because this was a new CEO. He had been with the company for 35 years, and he had met with the analysts And the analyst had asked him questions, and the stock price the next day dropped 20 points. And he wasn't brand new. It wasn't his first day. So so I was asked to go in and help him be an advisor to him. And he kept me waiting behind this huge mahogany desk that he had for 45 minutes while he was on the telephone. And I had flown all the way from the United States to London to be in his office. And, you know, I'm very happy to wait. I got to meditate, breathe. But there was a point at which, so I walked out. And right outside of his office, there was an elevator. And right next to the elevator, there was a, wall, a water fountain. And his name was Walter. And he came running after me and said, "Where? I can't do a Dutch accent. I'm sorry. He was Dutch. Where are you going? Where are you going? And I said, I'm leaving. But you haven't helped me yet. I said, it's not possible. And he said, why is it not possible? I said, because I can't think with you. Why can't you think with me? And I wasn't going to get in verbal tennis or ping pong. So I took a cup and I turned the water fountain on and his, at that time was called a secretary. His secretary was watching. And I lifted up the little lever and the water filled up the cup. And then I kept it, the water going, and it spilled all over the floor and so forth. And then I turned the lever off. I dumped the cup upside down. And I said, until the cup's empty, there's no point in putting anything else in or taking anything out. I got in the elevator. I got walked out of the building. He followed me down. Nobody had ever walked out on him. But it was, you know, it was a waste of my time. I mean, uh, my life is very precious to me. And an hour of my life sitting, listening to him pontificate on the telephone was a wasted hour. So long story short, he said, all right, I want. And he was running after me as I'm going down the street (laughs) in front of that big Ferris wheel. So I watched him at the next analyst meeting. And Walter did not have the capacity to think in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, He could think analytically. He could think in the present moment quite well. But all those thinking talents that help you, like, be the high beams of the car, Walter didn't have. And he intuitively knew that. So whenever the analyst would ask him a question about the future, his uh, neck muscles would tighten. And because his brain would just freeze and he didn't want them to know it. So he would get very snotty and nasty. And finally, the analyst picked it up. So they asked him more questions about the future, more questions about the future. And he got really nasty to them. And that's what was making the stock price dropped. So one member of his senior leadership team was someone he considered weak. He was an American and he asked questions all the time. And the reason Walter considered him weak, his name was Lauren, was because he did ask questions. Mm-hmm. So I brought Lauren to the next analyst meeting. And Lauren learned quite well to d- figure out where the questions were coming from. And when the analyst asked a question about the future, Lauren would stand up and answer it. Mm. When they asked a question about the past or the present, Walter would stand up and answer it. And the truth is, the next day, the stock went up 20 points. Mm. So... 
it, to me, it's such a gorgeous story because it's a great illustration of why we need each other. It doesn't take more time. What takes more time is inefficiency. What takes more time is separation. What takes more time is thinking something's difficult, if someone is difficult. And what takes more time is thinking you have to do it all by yourself. Oh, there, that we don't have to be that hero, that single right. smartest person in the room. Right. And that just reminds me, too, uh, Donna, and probably this is true of you too, Angie, but Donna, I know one of the things that is your talent, as far as I'm concerned, is coming up with new questions. Mm -hmm. I often find myself, I keep a list now on my computer (laughs) of some questions that Donna has posed (laughs) because they're just so good. So say something about the importance of the questions we're asking. Well, I will, and I. Uh, Angie is actually the master of inquiry, so I want Angie to add to it. Um, what I noticed is that what helps the brain go from what we talked about before, confusion, to curiosity, to wonder, is to have certain kinds of questions that lead us into mystery, not mastery. So there are questions where you come up with the right or wrong answer, but there's other questions such as, um, have I loved well today? And the only thing the brain can do when you ask that kind of a question is to go, duh, and it goes into confusion, and then it gets curious. Have I loved well today? And those are the and if you continue with that question, your brain continues to open wider and wider and wider. The thing about that I learned from Angie about inquiry is that I thought, like you, you know, we used to be taught you have to ask questions if you're facilitating. I didn't recognize that there were different kinds of questions. I thought there were good questions or bad questions, smart questions or dumb questions. So what I learned in writing this book with Angie, who is, by the way, my daughter in love is what I call her. And daughter in love. I love it. <laughs> and yes. that's supposed to be an adversarial relationship. But we had to learn to relate to each other if we were going to create this book. And we'd get to a hard place and Angie would always ask me, you know, this gorgeous question that I couldn't answer so I would go duh my mind would open and then a new idea would Uh come so can you talk a little bit more about that I mean you mentioned it once but can you go a little bit more into I think this is just because I was raised overseas and so every new place that I went I was the I was the stranger the one who didn't belong and so I think just from an early age I learned that questions were really the way to start to begin to understand someone and so instead of coming up with stories in my mind or I'm stupid I'm not good enough I'm a foreigner I this I just ask questions in order to achieve connection and I think that in this culture we drive really quickly to answers and we think the smartest person comes up with the fact fastest answer, the quickest answer. Oh, so true. And it's so true. So true. You know, there's an illustration that you do in the book that a little story that I just loved. And this was um, about the um, uh, Isidore Isaac rabbi. And when he came home, normally kids come home and, and you say, what did you learn today? But his mother did something else. Do you remember I this, I do, of course. Angie? I, he, yeah. His mother asked a, a wonderful, beautiful question. She's like, did you ask a good question today? Or what was the question you asked at school today? And so from a very young age, this child became very oriented that it was asking questions that kept his mind alive. And that was so, what was of value. That was, that what, was his economy. Exactly. That was his economy of thinking. And I, I, I think that we uh, can spend a lot more time 
time asking each other questions because I think a lot of what happens is we jump into answers quickly without truly understanding. So from a collaboration standpoint is giving more time and space for those questions and going deeper and deeper and deeper, it is actually more efficient. And, and all right, so that's like living in that landscape of uncertainty a mm-hmm. little longer, mm-hmm. you know. And the, again, you mentioned at the very first of this program, uh, uncertainty is not a comfortable place, especially for Americans. Mm-hmm. We, we mm-hmm. go quick, quick, quick to right. answers. And, and this also takes us to working with children. Mm-hmm. So starting at a, a very young age, and I know you both are very interested in this whole area of our, our culture and society. Can you say something about it? Well, I actually got into working with um, adults in the business world because I was looking for ways of influencing um, parents so their way of approaching their child would be different. And one of the things that is happening now that is actually exciting is that we have learned that American adults do not know how to discover. And there are centers now at MIT, Harvard, where they're reclaiming the capacity to discover. And discovery is a process that begins with unlearning what you think you know, and then finding the questions, the juicy questions that your brain gets energized to exploring and then learning and then unlearning and then learning and then unlearning. And there is much more aliveness. Um, And likewise, when two people fall in love, you can always tell because in the beginning, they're kind of like, wow, really? What What did you dream about last night? It's all in a discovery mode. And unfortunately, because we are discovery averse or we've been trained to be discovery averse that diminishes we go from what i call elephant poop down to chicken poop um, (laughs) as people because the discovery is gone that can be reversed because we are by nature designed to discover so we've created or uh, angie actually and david have created a free app that's on the itunes store that's called smart spark It's for free, and it helps parents understand more about how their children's minds naturally process information, how their minds naturally process information, and then how you can foster discovery. This is what my life work has really been about. That's great. That's great. So, Angie, can you say something about this app? Yeah, it's well, it's it's just the beginning. And the focus of the app is to discover not if you're smart, but how you're smart, Mm. which has really been the genesis of, you know, Donna's work. And it is the genesis of the, the, the whole material behind the app. The other thing that we do is offer um, children and parents to create their smart passport, which is really everything that a coach, a teacher, a parent knows that helps that child learn, record it and share it. And so as kids go through different coaches or go from year to year with different teachers, they attribute their intelligence to themselves instead of that teacher or that coach. And let's collect everything that we know that brings that child's brilliance in one place. How wonderful. I just want to thank you both for being part of New Dimensions today. Thank you. Thank you. It has been a joy. I truly mean that. I came a long way, and I'm really glad I did. Oh, goody. Thank you. I'm glad you did, too, Donna. I've been speaking with Dr. Donna Markova and Angie MacArthur, and they are the 
collaborators of the book Collaborative Intelligence, Thinking with People Who Think Differently. And if you want to know more about their work, you can go to their website, cqthebook.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3562. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.